The talk this morning is called Great Expectations, and um, something tells me that it'd be the great, great title for a novel. Um, I think that Charles Dickens thought the same thing 150 years ago. Uh, the idea, though, is the New Thought perspective on great expectations. There's a wonderful quote. If you think you can, you're right. If you think you can't, you're right. And that's where the expectations come in. That's actually uh, uh, paraphrased a little bit from Henry Ford, who said, whether you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. And he knew a thing or two about uh, expectations and uh, what you can do. And he was about creativity. Um, he was about creating something new, about taking a process or an idea or something that had existed previously and making up a new way, inventing a new way of doing that. He invented the assembly line. He made the modern automotive industry possible. Uh, and he thought he could. And he was right. Uh, he was definitely right. There's been a lot of talk lately about artificial intelligence. I don't know if anybody has, has had a chance to play around uh, with chat GPT uh, or any of the artificial intelligence engines that are now available publicly. Uh, they're interesting playthings. Um, curiosities, a lot of fun, a lot of really powerful stuff in there because they will do what you ask them to do in a manner that uh, seems to give you exactly what it is that you're looking for. Just uh, as an exercise for Valentine's Day, I had ChatGPT uh, create a, an over-the-top Valentine for Dina in the style of Rumi, and it was pretty good. Um, was it original? Maybe, maybe not. It was words put together in the way that the words are put together. But I did a little bit of investigating about how artificial intelligence, especially the ones that are creating and writing stuff, work. And what happens is it'll come up with a word, and then it'll try a whole bunch of different words, and the one that seems the most plausible for the next place is where is the next word that it puts in, and it builds the entire sentence, the entire paragraph, the entire piece, based on the stuff that is most reasonable and acceptable and predictable. And that is a wonderful way to draft something. But it's not creative. Because what it's looking for is how has this been done before? What's the, what's the most reasonable way to make something that seems like everything else? And there... <laughs> You can ask it to write a five-page essay for you on whatever topic has been assigned for your class, and it will do that, and it will make an essay for you that seems very similar to other people's essays that have become acceptable, and because it has access to everything on the internet. It's seen all the essays, and it's seen the ones that are judged as good and the ones that are judged as not. And it'll put something together that way. And if you, if you need something, that's a great way of getting something. But if you want to create something new, that's not the way to do it. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about back in the days when I was on the radio. And I was on uh, WFIL here in Philadelphia. And I was uh, on with Joey Reynolds, who was the original shock jock. In 1963, he was the shock jock. And it was 20 years before anybody else was saying outrageous things on the radio. He was in Buffalo, New York, on a radio station that had a signal that covered a third of the country. So he had number one ratings in 17 different markets because of the outrageous things that he was saying and doing on this little AM music station in Buffalo. It was 20 years later I was working with him in Philadelphia. And 
I think the general manager who is all into research and says, well, the research is, you know, we're looking at this and we're looking at that. And the research says that we, that this is what the masses want. We want to find out what the masses want. And Joey very insightfully said, the masses are asses. They don't know what they want until we tell them. And that's where creativity comes from. It's going beyond whatever has happened before, whatever the expectations are from before, and inviting in something new. What's that next new possibility? We're on the radio one morning and uh, doing the morning show, and Joey, off the, off the cuff, comes up with a contest. And he says, you do this, and if you get the right answer, we're going to give you um, uh, a WFIL diamond pin. It's like, I was the assistant program director. I'm the guy who sends out all the stuff that people win. He's, really? He says, yeah, gonna, you know, you, you answer this question, right? You're going to get a WFIL diamond pin. Well, that made all the people in management at the radio station a little bit panicky because, like, what the heck is Joey promising? And there's creativity there. There is that great expectation. If you think you can, you're right. And he had an idea. And so he went and he promised a diamond pin. And there are all sorts of things that seem impossible up until the time that they happen. There was a time when nobody made ships out of metal. All the ships were made of wood. And it was really simple. It was because wood floats and metal doesn't float. So of course you have to make your ship out of wood because the wood floats. And then... Somebody got the idea, well, it's, it doesn't matter how much the ship weighs. It's about the ship displacing a weight of water that's less than the ship itself weighs. So you can, in fact, make a steel hull for a ship, and when it sits in the water, it pushes the water out of the way, and you've probably seen there are steel ships that float. They don't need to be made of wood. That was a breakthrough idea. That was a breakthrough idea that nobody, nobody had considered that before. Nobody had considered that you could make a floating vessel out of something that doesn't float. Now, of course, we do it all the time. Thomas Troward pointed out that the law of flotation was not created by studying the sinking of things. So that's about what we're paying attention to. If you're looking at a piece of steel and you say this sinks, there's never going to be an idea that that's going to float. In fact, that you can build an entire industry, an entire global transportation system out of these unfloatable objects. So we had the conversation with Joey uh, afterwards, and, and we'd had three or four people that had won a diamond pin <laughs> at the radio station. The question was, what are we going to do? And he gets out this little, he said he found this, this little button, you know, one of those cheap little buttons that says WFIL that you can put on your lapel. He said, send him this on a dime. WFL diamond pin. So we sent them a diamond a pin, and that was their diamond pin, and nobody complained. <laughs> because he knew something. He knew something, and the people who got that, who thought that they were going to get a diamond, and got this in the mail instead, were perplexed and then entertained because they were part of the joke. Because they understand what was going on. So... When we're setting our expectations, we, we need to understand that we're not going to get what we want. We're going to get what we expect. 
our friend, the folk musician Nick Annis, has a song, and there's a line in it where the 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 girl is bitterly lamenting. <sighs> He's about what I expected and less than I deserve. And that just sums it up, because that's what you're expecting. Do you deserve better? Well, maybe you do deserve better. Maybe you do deserve better, but if you don't expect better, you're going to get what you expect rather than what you deserve. Henry Ford, if you think you can, if you think you can't, you're right. So what we need to be doing is looking for the balance point, because there's always a balance point in there. Um, on the one hand, we want to expect the best. And lots of people will tell you to expect the best. And then there is the very real, very practical advice that we get from the Boy Scout motto, which is be prepared. And being prepared is all about expecting something that's not going to be the best. Am I going to be ready if something unexpected happens? Am I going to be ready if what happens is not in accord with what I was looking for? And being prepared is never a bad idea. Being prepared is always helpful and pragmatic. If somebody is going to be driving their car through a, um, a mountain pass in the middle of a blizzard, probably a good idea to bring mittens and boots and maybe a blanket and perhaps uh, a, <laughs> a snack, <laughs> a bottle of water, to be prepared. Now, that's not to say I want to get stuck in the snow. That's to say, with the circumstances and the situations being what they're going to be, I want to be prepared. So we're all always looking for that, uh, for that balance point. Uh, Dean and I got into a conversation about this because uh, we got this dog, Oliver, who is just a ton of fun. And he tends to get really activated around other dogs. It's way too excited. And he's now got a niece. We've got a grand dog, Mabel. And Mabel comes over uh, on Saturdays and Oliver and Mabel play together. And the playing looks like him chewing on her leg and her ear and her everything and her chewing back on him and they're jumping on each other and running back and forth. And he's very active. And yesterday he didn't have uh, his lunch before she came over. So there was a lot of running around on an empty stomach. And then after she left, we wanted to give him some food. And Dina was concerned that he could have uh, digestional issues or get into a case of bloat and didn't want to have that happen. So gave him a gas X pill to make sure that he was going to be okay. And so the discussion that we are having now is where does that fall? Do we have the assumption that this is uh, that it warrants medicating something that hasn't been a problem before? Is that overreacting? Is that setting an expectation for something that's not going to happen? Or is that being prepared? And that's a balance point that we get to work out ourselves. And we get to do that all the time in everything that we're doing. There is always the possibility to find a new balance point or to fine-tune the balance point that we're in. Don Miguel Ruiz wrote the book, The Four Agreements, uh, and you have heard what the four agreements are. And then his son, Don Jose Ruiz, wrote his own book called The Fifth Agreement. So, and it was brilliant. Um, Don Miguel is really clear, uh, wonderful. I, I spent 20 minutes with him backstage before he went on at a presentation once, and it was the most peaceful 20 minutes I've ever spent in my life. Uh, just a, a wonderful, calming presence. And some number of years later, I got a chance to spend some time with uh, Don Jose. And he's a fun guy, and he's spiritually insightful. Not to the same level as his dad. 
So here he has this book called The Fifth Agreement, and he is hitching his authorship to his dad's agreements, <laughs> which was the first book that Oprah ever, ever said, everybody has to read this book and gave it, you know, that's what started the Oprah book club, you know, in the 90s, whenever that was. So he wrote The Fifth Agreement. And the fifth agreement is exactly what you would expect to be coming out of Don Miguel Ruiz's son, which is be skeptical, but listen. That means don't necessarily take all of this stuff for true just because I said it or somebody else said it or my dad said it. Be skeptical. So hold it at arm's length. Consider maybe this is true. Maybe this is not true. But listen. Be open to whatever those new possibilities are. Wonderful quote that I found. An entire sea of water can't sink a ship unless it gets inside the ship. Similarly, the negativity of the world can't put you down unless you allow it to get inside of you. So there's that whole thing with the, thing, with the sinking and the floating of things. Again, Troward reminded us that the law of flotation was not discovered by contemplating the sinking of things. I love when I am in an absolutely crystal clear field and everything is sunshine and roses and happiness and puppies and hugs and smiles and it's wonderful. And there are times when I find myself in an environment where there's negativity or anger or concern or upset or imbalance a sea of negativity. And I get to remember that as long as I'm, I keep the hull intact, as long as I make sure that I am here and the negativity is there, I get to maintain my equilibrium, my sense of flotation in spite of what's going on in the world around me. Do I choose that all the time? Is the fact that I can keep calm in the middle of a storm one of my superpowers and something I want to do all the time? No. No. I like to be prepared. I like to know how to take care of somebody who's broken a bone and get them the care that they need. But I don't want to have to do that all the time. <laughs> I don't want to be in the position where I'm doing that on a regular basis. I want to be prepared, but I don't want to be inviting those challenges or difficulties or catastrophes or crises. The same thing is true for you. One more quote. This is from Ryan Blair. If it's important to you, you will find a way. If not, you will find an excuse. So choose the experience that you want to have and find a way. Because if you think you can, you're right. And if you think you can't, you're right. I'll give you a little bonus. If you come up with a perfect answer for that, and you engage in that in a way that you find to be uplifting, Give yourself a diamond pin. You deserve it. So it is. <laughs>